Good morning. My name is Tom Ricks. I'm one of the pastors here at Green Tree. It's great to see all of you here this morning. If you're seated in the inside of the aisles, I think in front of you, in the chair in front of you, there should be an attendance book uh, or close by. Uh, if you don't mind grabbing that, signing it, passing it to the middle. Uh, it's just a way for us to keep up with one another. If you're visiting, you'd like to know more about Green Tree, one of the ways you can learn more uh, is talking to a ministry leader. If you'd like to talk to a pastor or, or particular ministry leader, when the book comes by, just give us your contact information. Let us know your question, and we'll be happy to reach out to you. But we're glad all of you are here worshiping with us this morning. So we're on week three of a four-week study in generosity, and I was in the kitchen this morning, and even the donuts have the message. I wish I could say I thought this up. <laughs> I wish I could take credit for it, but I walked in, I saw that, I went, you got to be kidding me. So I, I just tried to beat you the punch because I knew somebody would come and say, hey, nice job with the donut lids, you know, trying to try and drive your point home. Uh, in just a minute, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 9, uh, verses 6 through 9, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, or uh, you can follow along on the screen in just a, a couple of moments. Uh, probably around March or April, I'll start to get letters from college students who are going on summer mission trips. And some of you have, have done that in, in your past, or you're going to be doing it as a college student. And uh, that's a, a moment of decision for me about my own personal generosity. Uh, within the next couple of weeks, uh, the Salvation Army bells will be ringing outside of lots of different stores around town. And every time I walk by one of those people, it's a moment of a decision about generosity for me. There's a particular street that I drive on fairly regularly in St. Louis when I'm going to spend some time with uh, my friends who are church planters in the city. And when I do, I pass uh, a man with a sign who says, I'm a homeless vet, can you help me? And at that particular moment, it's a moment of decision for me about my generosity. Uh, it doesn't have to be money. I could get a call from someone who needs to talk, needs an hour of my time, and I'm feeling very pressed and very busy, but at that moment, it's a moment of decision for me about my own personal generosity. The last two weeks, we've, we've begun to look at this topic. The first week, uh, we talked about how Jesus calls us to consider generosity out of the notion of faith instead of the idea of fear. Uh, last week, we asked the question, what controls our generosity. And it was our hope and prayer out of that passage in 2 Corinthians 5 that the love of Christ would control all of our lives, but would certainly control our generosity. If you haven't heard those two sermons and you'd like to go back and listen to them just to kind of help get the context, uh, those are on our website. You can, you can listen to those if you like. Uh, but every day we have a decision to make at some point or another during the day, whether it's a question of our time or our treasure or our talent, we have to decide about our giving. What's our philosophy going to be about generosity? How do we make that decision? Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 9. Hear the words that the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write to his friends in Corinth. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, 
you may abound in every good work, as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone. Be glory. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our hearts and our minds to your truth. Father, we pray that your spirit would speak to every person in this room. Lord, my, uh, my thoughts, my opinions on this topic or are just that. Uh, no one should base their life on anything Tom Rick says. Our lives need the foundation of the word of God, which is perfect and holy and endures forever. It's the only thing uh, on this planet besides our, our, our eternal souls that will live forever. So, Father, we pray this morning that the power of that truth would bring life into our hearts. Lord, please, please forgive me for my sin that would block or stand in the way of any of us learning your word this morning, of any of us being able to worship you with our minds and our intellects. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would teach us, and we pray in your name, amen. The sermon in a sentence this morning goes like this, because God is powerful, gracious, and faithful, disciples of Jesus are free to be generous and cheerful givers. Because of God, therefore disciples. So that's the the order in which we need to understand that this morning. Because God is powerful and gracious and faithful, disciples of Jesus are free to be generous and cheerful givers. Why is this so important? Some would argue, well, it's important because, you know, you're planning your stewardship and your ministry for the next two years, so you you really want people to give, you know, as much money to the church as they possibly can. You could think that, uh, and I won't deny the fact that church ministry costs money. Uh, Anybody that that doesn't understand that is, is not comprehending the reality of the situation, but there are far more important issues, and really the issue is the issue of my heart and your heart. In every area of our lives, whether it's this or whether it's how we run our business or, or treat employees, whether it's how we are students in school, where, how are we husbands, how are we wives, whatever, wherever we find ourselves, it's important for us to understand the power of God in our lives. But in this particular issue, uh, a modern day theologian, Paul Barrett, wrote the following. There are few evidences of God's power so impelling as the transformation from tight-fisted meanness to open-handed generosity. Barrett argues that that is a witness, your generosity, and my generosity can be a witness to the grace of God. I read a story this week about a, about a man who uh, went to his local bakery about three mornings a week to pick up a bagel and a cup of coffee on his way to work, uh, and he would often tell his friends, there's this one woman that comes in, uh, and she's really just a mean person. She treats the servers really poorly. She's always griping about the prices. She's always trying to, you know, she'll have an expired coupon that she tries to get by, you know, get the, get the deal. And she's just mean and grouchy to everybody. Uh, and one day he was at his, at his office and he had uh, two huge boxes of macaroons. And he was going around to every desk going, hey, you want some macaroons? You want some macaroons? And after a while, somebody stopped and said, what is the deal? Why are you giving all these things away? You, you must have spent a little bit of money this morning. He says, well, I was in front of the grouchy lady. And I heard her say that she was going to buy some macaroons, but she wasn't going to share any with her grandchildren. So when I got to the counter, I said, could I have every macaroon that you have in the bakery? 
Now, think about this with me for a second. Why is selfishness so irksome and generosity is so inspiring? Why is that? What is it in your heart and my heart that goes, that wants to say to that guy, way to go, and I hope when you walk by you smiled at her, right? What is it in our hearts that when, when we see selfishness, even when we see it in our own lives at times, we kind of cringe and go, that's not right, and yet generosity inspires us. I believe that's from God himself. And I believe we can go to scripture to answer the question, how will I decide on what kind of generosity will be in my life? I want to do this by two observations in this text. The first one is I want to look at at, at my or our decision about generosity. And then I want to spend a little bit more time looking at the second observations, which is God's decisions on generosity. But first, my decision on generosity. Clearly what the apostle wants the the Corinthians and he wants us to understand this morning is, is it's not just about giving, but the more important issue is what lies behind the giving. What is the motive of my heart or the motive of your heart? And Jesus certainly would pick on this as well. If you go to the to the gospels and you look at Jesus confronting the Pharisees about their giving, he says you you give lots and lots of money, but your hearts aren't in it. Right? So Paul says here, picking that up, says the point is this. Whoever, spoke, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Paul says there's a decision that's called for before I open my wallet. There's a decision that's called for before I decide whether I'm going to give some of my time to serve someone else in a certain capacity. There's a decision that has to be made in my heart about my generosity. It's not just about giving, but it's the attitude behind giving. When I walk by the bell ringer, right, the Salvation Army guy or gal, do I put a couple bucks in there because I'm so happy to help the Salvation Army or because I'm worried that one of my church members might see me walk by and think that I'm a selfish jerk if I don't put some money in? You know, do I go to the bank and get a fistful of ones in in mid-November so I can look good in front of you? Or do I actually have a heart consumed with the generosity of God? Paul says that there's a decision to be made, but it's an attitudinal decision, not necessarily an an amount type of decision. However, he does say that there, there are two choices in general that our attitudes can reflect. And in verses 6 and 7, he says, you can, have, you can have this notion of sowing sparingly. In other words, kind of just picking your spots, picking your moments, because for whatever reason, you may not want to risk too much. But in verses 6 and 7, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And then down in verse 7, he says, each one must give as he decided to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Paul's saying here, there, there, there's a type of, of believer, and he's talking to the church, not talking to non-Christians. If you're here and you're not a disciple of Jesus this morning, we welcome you to listen in, but we're, we're not interested in you putting money in the offering plate. We're interested in you hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, we don't even pass an offering plate. We have these two offering churches that sit in the back of the room and we give as we come and we go or we give online. But, but Paul says that there's this notion among Christians that I'm just going to give about as much as I need to. I'm cautious. Maybe I'm skeptical. Maybe I'm just downright unwilling. I'm reluctant. I don't want to part with, with what I have. And maybe that goes back to the, the fear sermon of, of a couple of weeks ago. Or I'm, I'm feeling under compulsion. You know, you're just making me feel guilty. You know, so here's a few bucks now. Leave me alone. 
Paul says that can be the heart of the Christian. And I've had that experience along the way in my journey with Christ. I've had all of those. I've been overly cautious. I've been skeptical. Well, I don't know how they're going to spend my money, so I don't know if I want to give it. I don't know if I can, I can trust them. And it was just a mask to hide my own selfishness. I've, I've been uh, the type of person that's just been unwilling. Or I felt, okay, now you've guilted me into it. So I, so I, can, I can relate, unfortunately, with verses 6 and 7 in that particular attitude. But Paul also says it doesn't have to be that way. That doesn't have to control your life. It doesn't have to be how you look at your giving. He says, there's also the person who does what? Who sows bountifully. And the person who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. bountifully. And he goes through the, the negative part. Don't be reluctant or under compulsion. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. There's something about giving freely and with joy. There's something about being happy and actually looking for opportunities to participate that puts a smile on God's face. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes. But uh, I want to give you an example of this in my own life. We were on the Homes of Hope trip last year. For those of you that are relatively new to Green Tree, every uh, January, uh, some number of folks from Green Tree and a couple of other churches go to uh, the, the, uh, the Baja Peninsula in Mexico, and we help build homes with people who have been able to buy a little tiny portion of land. And literally their portion of land might be, you know, 30 by 30, and the houses maybe, uh, I think our houses are what, Drew, you're here, 15 by 15, 20 by 20, Drew, where are you? I saw him, I saw him, oh, he's in Sunday school class maybe, um, but they're small, they're, they're not real big, but it's a roof over somebody's head. So I go about every four years, and I went last year, and it's the second day, we do this in two days, it's an amazing experience, and the second day, I'm like, my shoulders are starting to droop, you know, I'm starting to kind of get a little sore and wish that I'd brought some Ben Gay with me, and, and I'm kind of getting tired, and I'm thinking, oh man, and after we get done with this, we're going to sit on that hillside, and we're going to worship for another hour, I just really want to get a shower, and I started thinking about, you know, Nathan was going to meet, our oldest son was going to meet me, we were going to play a little golf a couple days, you know, kind of like that commercial, Calgon, take me away, I mean, just, I was just kind of going somewhere else, and I was just kind of really ready to be done, and this nine-year-old comes flying around the corner at the house we were building, and he looks up at me, and he goes, does it get any better than this, and he just keeps right on going, and I tried to kick him as he went by, and I, I missed him, right? Couldn't, couldn't think of a place he'd rather be doing, doing anything other than what he was doing, helping somebody else have a home. He was sowing bountifully. Paul says that our decision on generosity is a, is a decision of the heart. It's a decision of the intellect. It, it's a combination of those things. But what is the foundation for that choice? On what do I base my decision of generosity? And I think that's where Paul does a wonderful job of saying, let's look at God's generosity. Let's understand how he approaches it, and that may give us some insight as his children as to how we should approach it. So I have, I have three observations on God's decision. First of all, God has decided that he is thrilled when his kids are generous, that God is really going to get pumped up when his kids are generous. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Why is that? Well, let's go back to, to chapter 8, one, one chapter before. And verse 9, and we've, I've, I've mentioned this to you, I think almost every Sunday I've mentioned this verse in the last two weeks. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus. So you know about God's generosity. What did that look like? Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by, your, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus gladly gave everything he had 
in order to obtain your salvation and obtain my salvation, even giving his life on the cross. And so God gets, I think, a kick out of his kids who are generous. I'm going I'm to come to the bullet point, but I, I've inserted one that's not on the screen because I think when we choose to give freely and we choose to give cheerfully, it's a sign of a thankful heart. It's a sign that part of my thought process began with the cross of Jesus. And my generosity began by thinking, I am a person who's received generosity. Thank God for that. Thank you, Lord, for being so generous to me. I, I want to be generous like you. And, there, and it comes out of a thankful heart. So there's another story this week about two, two boys, about 12 or 13. They were looking to make some extra money. And there was, a, there was a motorcycle cop in their town who always found the best places to hide for a speed trap to, get, to get people, give people speeding tickets. And one day he noticed that he wasn't stopping anybody. And he learned later on what had happened, that these two boys had found out where he was sitting. And one of them went around the corner about 300 yards down the road and held out a big sign for about three hours that said, speed trap ahead, slow down. The other boy was around the other curve about 300 yards down the street with a sign in a bucket that said, tips appreciated for good information. (laughs) When you get out of a $100 speeding ticket, you don't mind kicking $5 into the bucket, right? It's a good investment. In fact, you circle back around and you tell that kid, keep it up. Can I put you on retainer, right? That's at least if you drive a car like me. But there's something about giving, receiving a gift that gives you a thankful heart. And it makes you want to participate on that level. But also, as, as the screen says, we begin to look like our, our father and our older brother. When we give generously, we begin to look like the one who gave everything for us. When we begin to, to, to give freely and care about others, we begin to look like our father. And what father doesn't want his children to look like the good part of him? What mom doesn't want her kids to take on the, the parts of her character that have been passed down to her, perhaps from her family, that are the positive things in their life? Every parent wants to see that in their kids. When our uh, oldest son, Nathan, was either a sophomore or junior in high school, uh, both the boys were playing hockey at the time, and I was coaching, and I needed a new pair of skates desperately, but skates are expensive, and I really just didn't, quite frankly, I didn't want to spend the money on it. So I was kind of taping mine together and trying to make them last as long as possible. And on Christmas morning, there's a box under the tree, and I open it up, it's a new pair of skates that Nate had saved his money to buy, right? So I get a little teary-eyed over that, even now, some years later, when I'm not skating much anymore. Um, and it wasn't that I was, you know weeping over the skates. (laughs) Oh, thank you, God, I got skates. It's so wonderful, right? It was like, oh my goodness, he gets it. He sacrificed so that somebody could have something else. Who doesn't want to teach their child that lesson? Because that's the lesson of the gospel. God decided that he's thrilled when his kids are generous. Why? Because we have thankful hearts and we begin to take on the character of our father. But secondly, God decided to be generous, to teach us to live by faith through generosity. Look at verse 8. God's gift of grace in Jesus was given freely, right? God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, what's not in that equation? Everything's in there. Look at the language. God is able to make all grace abound, overflow, more than you can take in to you. Why? So that having all sufficiency in all things, you may spend it on yourselves. No, you may abound 
in every good work. God is using the lesson of faith to teach us generosity. Generosity means that I'm going to trust to God to supply all that is needed in order for me to reflect his love to others. As a disciple of Jesus, one of the things to which I'm called is a life of a witness. I'm to be a living testimony of what it means to be a person who's captured by the grace of God. Now, if that doesn't scare you a little bit, if you're a Christian, you're not really thinking about it too much. But when you think about it in, in, in the sense of that responsibility, you go, stop, hold it. I, let me off. I don't want to be the person that bears that responsibility. I can't do it. And if you're sitting here thinking you can be a perfect witness to everybody all day, every day, all the time, without flaw, without God working in your life, you are delusional. It cannot be done. But God gives us his Holy Spirit. And he gives us the power of his word. And he says, now kids, trust in me when I tell you this. If you decide to be generous, I'm going to give you everything you need to do that. Now, what he gives me might not be what he gives you. What he gives you, he might not be giving me. He doesn't, there are no amounts here. There's no, you know, that's got to be, you know, here, here, here. He simply says he will give you everything you need for your generosity to be a witness to the grace of God, but you got to trust him in it. So I remember when I was a little kid and we would go to the, we'd go to the, the store and mom would say, you know, a couple weeks out, now save up your money because, you know, you want to get dad a present. You want to get your brother a present, your sister a present, to which I'd say, well, I want to get my dad a present. I don't know about my brother and my sister. Uh, but I would save up, you know, I'd save up my money and, you know, I'd save up a couple dollars or 50 cents or whatever. And we'd go to the store and she, you know, she had some suggestions on what she thought my dad might like. And we'd pick those things out and we'd go to the cash register, right? Back when they were actual cash registers. And I'd put, you know, whatever I had, my dollar fifty, And then she would say, you know, oh, Tom, look over there. And when I looked over there, she would pay the difference. She would pay what it really took to get the gifts, right? There it is. The parent supplying the child with what they need to give the good gift. Our father wants to teach us faith. Why? Because the deeper our faith goes, the more we look like Christ and the more we're a witness for him. And actually the more our lives begin to make sense, even to us. God decided to be thrilled when his kids were generous. God decided to teach us faith through generosity. My third observation under God's decision is that God decided to teach us the connection between righteousness and generosity. So verse 9 says, as it is written, and Paul goes back and he quotes Psalm 112, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor his righteousness endures forever. Now, if you go back and you read Psalm 112, which I'd encourage you to do, it's a great little psalm, but it seems to be speaking about the man of righteousness. It seems to be that, that the psalmist was walking down the street one day and he saw a great role model. And he said, well, I ought to be like that guy. And he wrote down all the great things he saw about that guy. But what the psalmist was actually doing was he was foretelling what it would look like for Jesus to come and what the life of the Messiah would reflect. And what the life of the Messiah would fret, reflect is his free distribution. And what do we say about grace? What do we know about grace? It's free. He has given to the poor. We are spiritually poor. We are spiritually bankrupt in need of God's grace. And if he doesn't give it to us generously, we are lost forever. His righteousness, therefore, endures forever. 
God has decided to teach us the connection between righteousness and generosity. In other words, being generous is the right way to live. It reflects the character of our Father. And by the way, I would say that it's what we really need to teach our children. Teaching our children generosity is absolutely crucial. And we don't just teach by our words, we teach by our actions. Which got me to thinking, you know, David was a king and he was a really wealthy guy. I wonder how generous he really was. So I went to Proverbs, who was written by David's, uh, David's son, one of his sons. Yeah, David had a lot of sons. It was written by his son Solomon. And Proverbs 22 says this, Whoever sows, and notice he doesn't say sparingly, but in the Hebrew, those words are very close to each other. Being a, being a cheapskate and, and being unjust are synonyms in ancient Hebrew. He who sows injustice will reap calamity. The rod of his fury will fail. In other words, he won't be able to defend himself. Whoever has a bountiful eye, whoever, in other words, looks and sees the need of the poor will be blessed. Why? Because he shares his bread with the poor. He sees and he responds. And this is the right thing to do. What stands behind our giving? Decision needs to be made. The question of generosity. I want to suggest to you this morning that this passage says very clearly that it's God's power. It's his grace. It's his faithfulness that must stand behind our motivation and giving. Otherwise, our giving ultimately is of no value. Reluctant giving is really a worthless exercise. Conversely, giving freely, cheerfully, and generously breathes life into our souls. Uh, so I got the donut box example right before I was walking in here. But early this morning, I was reading an email from my buddy Jeff Peters, who serves down in Haiti. And I want to close the sermon by reading you a couple of brief paragraphs from his note this morning. And I want you to listen for the place where I read where he gets really excited. And think about it in terms of what does he get out of this, okay? The clinic is opened. We opened the doors on November 3rd and have seen approximately 20 to 25 patients each day. Certainly the need is much greater, but with just one doctor, that's our limit. As we ramp up this thing, it's likely we'll be adding a nurse or two to help with some of the more minor things and thereby increasing the numbers. We feel very good about the quality of care. Our doctor actually takes time out, talk with patients, gather a history, and provide some education, nutrition, hygiene, prenatal, nursing moms, how to manage high blood pressure, one of the top three killers of adults in Haiti, etc. I can't tell you how gratifying it is to see this dream become a reality. We're located right on the edge of one of the poorest areas of the city. Going to the hospital for most things is completely out of the question for many. Patients pay up to the equivalent of $2 about a day's wage for their first visit and a dollar for follow-up visits. This includes whatever medicines are prescribed. Then he goes on to give like five different examples of people who, who have stopped in the clinic and, and, and what, it's, you know, what it's meant in their lives. What did Jeff get out of this? Absolutely nothing. What he gets out of it is blood, sweat, and tears, and is quite, quite frankly his own money, much less other people's money, in order so that he can have the joy of generosity and be a witness to the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your decisions in generosity. Father, as we think about the calling that you have placed on our lives here at Green Tree Community Church to be a witness in this community and beyond. Uh, you have called us to be a spiritual family here in this day and in this generation. And you have called us to be generous to that end. 
Father, I pray for myself. I pray for this congregation. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. As we prepare next week to to bring our promises back to uh, our giving for the next couple of years. Lord, you already see down the road. You see two years. You see 2,000 years. You see 2 million years from now. So, Lord, it's wise and it's good for us to put our trust and our faith in you. Father, I pray that you would do a new work at Green Tree. That you would raise us to even greater heights of generosity, not just financially, but Father, generosity in our hearts that would say, there are just more people we got to tell about Jesus. There are just more folks that, that we could impact for his gospel. There, there are more things that I can do personally with people in my neighborhood, be generous with my time and my message and my love so that people would know Jesus. Father, challenge us, call us, motivate our hearts, not by compulsion, not through guilt, but through the joy of reflecting the character of our Father to a lost and broken world. I pray in your name. Amen.